Welcome back to Panda Pint Podcast, and today we've been joined by face of Sky Sports News, Tom White. So let's go on with the video. Cool. So if it's all right, Tom, I just want to start right at the beginning of sort of your Sky Sports and how you got into that. Because I'm sure there's thousands and thousands of people who are watching think what a dream job that is talking sports all day. And so how you come about getting into becoming a Sky Sports presenter? The way I got into it was was different to how you get into it now. There's a very clear path to get to um, like to, to what I do now. If you want to be a, a, a broadcast journalist at, at Sky, there's a very clear path, which I'll tell you in a minute. But the way I did it was very different. Um, I've been uh, at Sky since August 2004. Um, when I was still at university, I started... Um, by just applying for work experience. Now, that's still the same, actually. Applying for work experience is, just, is the same. It's just you've got to have more qualifications now than you did then. Applied for work experience, got two weeks' work experience, but uh, on the second day, got asked if I could um, actually work for a few weeks uh, logging tennis at the US Open um, which and, and getting paid for it, which was amazing when I, was still, I still had a year left at university. Yeah. So that was amazing for me. Um, and uh, what I didn't know at the time, though, is that I had to be working from 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. I didn't know that at the time. Um, and that was before I had a car as well. And I was having to go from Luton to West London, where the where the studios are. Yeah. Um, and so fr- from that, I, I stayed at Sky as well as finishing my year at uni- my last year at university as a runner so making teas and coffees doing the auto queue for the presenters and my, i worked my way up from there i was on the, on the bottom of the ladder and just worked my way up you know it was a ladder that i wanted to be on now for anyone who wants to get in it's it's much more um but you wouldn't have to be a runner for a start all right and that's can be seen as quite the meaning i loved it personally mm, for a lot yeah. of people they think i've just been at university for three or four years what am i doing making teas and coffee which i can understand it's, it's not the way i saw it personally um i saw all the positives like i was looking after the guests meeting my heroes but now if you want to be a, a broadcast journalist or, or just a journalist you do the uh, nctj that's a, a course you do it's a one-year course uh, i did three years at university which i've never ever needed um you do a one-year course that is your journalism qualification once you've got that you can apply for jobs anywhere that's what you need to get started is, is that instead of a degree then tom is that like a not not well, that, done by university but via broadcasters themselves is it so no that that is that is your degree oh, okay, you know, that, right. that is your qualification um it's a diploma and so i did media at university it was media performance and i thought have a media performance, which was only done at two universities at the time, Luton and Salford. Um, and Salford rejected me, I didn't get in. So I, I, I had one choice, uh, it, which was Luton, which I loved. Um, but it was three years and a course where I thought, right, I'm doing the right thing to get to where I want to be. Actually, I wasn't. But my, I, I loved it, loved university. The courses helped me in lots of ways and Know, pa- passing exams and and doing you know being successfully completing modules and stuff it helps you in life definitely um it wouldn't help me get a job at sky now 
Yeah. Um, and that was three years. And three years at university is a, lot, is a lot more expensive than one year at university. You can stay on and do your master's um, once you've got your diploma, your NCTJ. Once you've got that, you can stay on and do a master's, which can only help. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll give you a head start on, on those that don't, but that's only an extra year. So that's two years rather than the three that I did. But once you've got that, you can apply for any job within journalism, whether it be uh, print journalism, um, whether it be at uh, TV, radio, you can you can get going. That's really good. And w- what you're saying there about the runners, I guess that's just the, the sort of way of, of life now, because it's quite similar to, to footballers, isn't it? Where the youth players had sort of clean the boots of the, the more experienced players and things like that. And we've had quite a few ex-pros on from probably that era. And, and they all say the same as you. They sort of loved it. They saw it as like a learning curve, a way to get in. And almost, I don't know if it's the same with journalism, but sort of earn the respect of, of your peers and get to know them, learn a few tricks of the trade and things like that. So, yeah, it's like you say, you, it's 2021. You, it'd be seen as really demeaning now, wouldn't it? And, and you'd have more complaints than people saying it, it were good probably. But, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I guess I sort of, the way I still see it now is that I was learning on the job because I was seeing what everybody was doing. Mm. Part of the job, when you're looking after guests, means that and the guests are with the presenters, so you're looking after the... I didn't know at the time uh, I actually wanted to be a commentator, but when mm. I was there, I, I realised I quite liked the, the presenting and reporting route. Um, and and you're seeing the way they do things, you're seeing what they do right, you see the, what they do wrong, you see the, the ones that treat people well, the ones that... People people who were treating me well, people who were looking down on me. And you can you, you can learn a lot about the job from just seeing how it all works and seeing how things behind the scenes work. A lot, when I was uh, 18 to 21, thinking, right, I might want to get into this line of work. I was thinking, well, I don't want to be cutting interviews. I don't want to be cutting picture. I don't want to be doing that. that yeah. You know, how's that going to help me? Mm-hmm. What you realize is, that really helps you because it means that you can see how every single part of any television production works. Yeah. You see it all. And doing that was like an apprenticeship, like cleaning the boots, making sure that the changing rooms are are, are all tidy. If you're playing if you're playing football in an academy, it's like you you see the way the players around you that you aspire to be are behaving. Yeah. And you can learn from their positives and also from their negatives and uh, there were so many perks to it i i honestly i look back and look at that as a, a great time i mean there was ve- very little pay but i was getting paid yeah. i could have been doing placements all over the place just to improve my cv and it, which is a good thing to do but in your mind you're thinking am i actually ever going to get a job yeah. out of this you know it wasn't it wasn't free labor that sky weren't using me I, I had a proper job and was getting paid for it yeah. but crucially it was on the, the bottom of a ladder that i wanted to be on that i, I knew i wanted to climb yeah uh, I just, i'm just curious tom did you ever get mike wedderburn's coffee wrong or anything like well, that I, well it was <laughs> it, i actually was mainly doing um the football department okay. so rather than sky sports news because sky sports news um it is is all journalism you see so so i had to kind of do a little bit i had to work very hard to get from sky sports to sky sports news so it was mainly richard keys Andy oh, right. Gray. Uh, it was a, a presenter called marcus buckland who's still around but not at sky anymore he went from from the football department to tennis um 
uh, Claire Tomlinson, who I now work alongside, I consider to be a really good friend. She's one of the, the best people I've ever met in my life. Absolutely love her. Um, but I was looking after people like that and guests. So in terms of getting coffee wrong, um, I got Rude Hullet's coffee wrong once. <laughs> and he he asked me, now I I've, I don't drink tea and coffee. I've, I've had one sip of tea in my life, didn't like it, never done it again. <laughs> never even had one sip of coffee, right? So it was kind of, I don't know if, if, if it's ironic or coincidental. I get the two mixed up. I don't know which one it was, but I it, it was ironic that I was having to make teas and coffees when I'd, I'd never made them for myself. Yeah. Bullet said to me, can I have an espresso, right? Now, you're in a, there's a tiny little kitchen next to this big studio. You're nowhere near the canteen, so you can't go over and ask for a proper espresso. So he asked me for an espresso. No one had ever asked me for one before. And I just thought, right, okay, well, I know that they're small, right? So I've got like just a normal sized cup. I know they're small, I know they're strong. So I got, you know, I just put a lot less water in, you know, about, you know, about a quarter of the water you'd normally do, or even maybe even an eighth of the normal water I'd normally put, put in the boiling water, but double the amount of coffee and mix it up. And I thought, right, well, you know, that, that must be an espresso. <laughs> Gave it to him and he just went and he took a sip of it and uh, he said, i don't swear i don't swear unless i'm doing an impression of him so how, how does it work can i say one swear word on this or is oh, yeah. it oh mate after martin carruthers last week you could say anything you want okay fine <laughs> yeah I, I, right see because i i don't i don't even swear in, in real life unless i'm doing an impression of someone and and, and um and rude Hullet took one sip of this and, and he's there with uh, Andy Gray, Richard Keyes, and I think it was David Platt on his right. And he just took one sip of that and just went, this is shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and threw it across the studio floor. So, and I would add, like all of the, you know, Richard Keyes, Andy Gray and, and um, David Platt, they, they all laughed and Ruth Hullett saw the funny side of it, but the person who was the floor manager, who I suppose was kind of in charge of me at that time, mm -hmm. He gave me an absolute rollicking for, oh, get, for getting it wrong, oh, for getting this um, for, for for not knowing how to make an espresso, um, and then of course there's a, you know my version of espresso all over the floor, which obviously I had to go clean up anyway. Wow! Yeah. Did you not say to him, "I'm not a Costa Coffee; I just do a normal <laughs> tea or coffee." Hey, back, back in those days, you, you keep your head down, you, you do as you're told. <laughs> It would be easy now if they had a run because they have all posh coffee machines and also yeah. deliver now, everything else. Now there's well there's um it's guys it's actually a different it's even a different building now and there's there's baristas as they're called all yeah. over the place. You can't so, someone else does it for you now. Yeah. Um but uh, I wish it was like that when I was there. It, it's character building and, and worth it for the anecdote. Yeah, and, and the thing is most of the guests that you're looking after are lovely most of the guests most of the presenters are, are brilliant and like like i say sometimes you meet yeah i actually used to have my not that i'm fanatical but my my italian team is sampdoria i used to have a sampdoria shirt with hullet on the back yeah you know so i mean that's like kind of meeting one of my heroes but by then he'd been newcastle manager so i'd obviously turned against him then <laughs> even though he was Rude Hullet was great for Sunderland, actually, while he was yeah, Newcastle. Right. Um, but, but in general, people are actually very nice to you, mainly. Awesome. Brilliant. So, 
Sky Sports has revolutionised football transfers and particularly the transfer deadline day. What's it like being behind the scenes and being involved in a deadline day? It's The beauty of it is I quite like that you can't plan anything. Mm. It's like you, you think you might know a few things that are going on, but my phone could ring at any time with, with a story, mm. and it does. And it's they're the best days it's the whole day the producers have to put a plan in right but there's no point it, it's it's only really if nothing happens because it, every the, the whole day is based around it's like a blank canvas one of the reporters all, all of the journalists around they're phoning to try to get stories they they're getting calls from agents managers chief executives and you get the hint of a story you chase it up you speak to the clubs involved you try to speak to anyone else who could be involved in the deal who you who you trust and it goes from there mm. and uh, and the story some stories flow to you on deadline day sometimes if it is quieter you, you don't stop you never put the phone down you're constantly ringing trying to find out what's going on and you're not i'm certainly not um big-headed enough to think that if Sky don't break it first, it's not happening. Sometimes you might see it on a, another platform. You might you might hear it on Talksport. You might see it uh, in the the Mail Online. You see that there might be a big transfer happening, and and you chase it up yourself. You say, okay, well, I'm not going to just go well because it's not, because I haven't got that story myself. I'm just going to you know imagine it's not true. It doesn't work like that. No. And you you can chase the story up, and what happens at Sky quite a lot is sometimes, uh, quite often, someone else will break the story first, but people don't believe it until they see it on the breaking news and Sky Sports News. On the ticket. and that's absolutely right. Because what what we could do is right get get a hint of a story and run with it, mm. right? Yeah. But we might not have checked with both clubs. We might not have checked with other sources. We might not be fully comfortable with it, but it would mean we're first. Okay, well, we might be first, but we might be wrong. Yeah. Right. So if we see a story elsewhere, or if you know we've got little bits of a story and we're not sure about it, we will wait until we are absolutely certain that that story is true. Yeah. And I prefer the reputation of we don't trust it till we see it on Sky Sports mm -hmm. News, rather than the reputation of first with the breaking news because yeah. it could be first, but if it's wrong. I mean, that, that can ruin your own reputation as a journalist and as actually uh, an organisation very quickly. I think that's important. You've got that rep. I was going to back up what Tom said there. You're absolutely right. The amount of times I'm a Burnley fan, Josh is a United fan and, and Nick's a Derby fan. And speaking from a Burnley perspective, the amount of times on deadline day we've heard, you know, around Twitter and whatever, mm -hmm. such and such is coming to Turf Moor. And you have Sky Sports News on all day. Uh, even if you're at work, obviously. And um, you just don't believe it for a second until you see it at the bottom of the screen. So I always wonder about stuff like that. So it's interesting to hear that there might actually be some truth. You know, it, it's bubbling around in Twi on Twitter. There's various journals. Um, shout out to Reluctant Nico, who might be throwing some stuff out there on Twitter. Um, and maybe Sky will pick it up after, what, a certain amount? It, it, does, it, does it need to get a certain amount of retweets or interest before you look into it or no i mean 
quite often if someone goes with a story elsewhere we will have also heard that story but we'll be in the process of checking it out yeah, right okay yeah. quite often um also sometimes it is the if, if the actual journalist has a good history of getting things right then straight away we'll look into that too yeah. um it, it's not like a kind of number of retreat retweets or anything like that it, it tends to be does the story sound like it it could actually have legs yeah um like if you see rumors going around on twitter all the time now remember that anyone can start a rumor on twitter yeah. anyone can Absolutely. right that's that's the difference between the, like social media to the sort of old school way of doing it anyone can start a rumor that could be complete nonsense they might just do it for a joke they might do it for their own reasons um but it, it can go viral and there's loads and loads of stories like that and sometimes it just takes one phone call to find out that that is absolute nonsense and sometimes it's quite nice to just throw a story out like that and say look we've spoken to such and such it's not true yeah and um, we know that it's this story's gone viral that um could you say Burnley fan that um Let's think of a, a kind of a realistic one. Uh, Fikeo Tamori is going on loan to Burnley, right? Okay, let's let's exactly. say, let's say, yeah, you definitely would. He's class. I can't, I can't <laughs> believe I can't believe he's, he's fifth choice centre back for Chelsea. Yeah. Actually, yeah. He, let's say that's going around and everyone's saying it's done. We might just need to phone Frank Lampard mm. and say, which which we can do. Yeah, Look, it can this story's everywhere and we haven't got it. I mean, is it? Is it true? Is he actually going to Burnley? Or we can call Sean Dyche, whatever. If Frank Lampard says, I'm in the canteen right now, Fakeo Tomori is on the table next to me. So how can he so how can we how can he be having a medical at Burnley? Right, done. Yeah. And then we can actually, even though we've never touched that story, we can say reports that Fakeo Tomori is set to join Burnley or is having a medical at Burnley ahead of a loan move are false. Fakeo Tomori is currently at the Chelsea training ground. Yeah. Right. So even though we haven't touched the story. We can kind of at least get tell people who like Burnley fans are excited about it, Chelsea fans who are concerned about it, other club fans that want Timori. Yeah. We can actually say, you know, don't worry, this you know, the, the story is now that at the moment there is no story. Yeah. And we can tell people that we're still actually informing people, mm -hmm. even though actually there's no story. Yeah. And that just adds another sort of layer of legitimacy, I guess, to just guy sports to say, look, yeah, don't believe everything you read on Twitter. Because it, I mean, if every Twitter rumor were true, I think Man United have had, would have a squad of about seventeen million players. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, seventeen times as well. Yeah, yeah. I, well, actually, the last time a, a Man U manager got a Manchester United manager got sacked, I was, I was, I was going on air ten minutes late. It was supposed to be uh, Jose Mourinho got sacked. Mm. Um, we used to have a show called uh, Sports Women, which was. Um, half I think it was half 11 till 12, and I was supposed to go on air at 12. But at 20, I might be getting the times wrong when Sportsman was and stuff, but 10 minutes before Sportsman was about to start, Mourinho got sacked. Right? We, we found out that Mourinho got sacked, and the Sportsman producer was running around the studio trying to find me because knowing that I was going on at 12. Yeah. And, and she eventually found me and said, Tom, You've got to go on in 10 minutes. You've got to go on at half 11. Mourinho has been sat. We can't do sports women because oh, you can't, 
you know they can they can pre-record sport for him and and, and yeah. play it out because you, you can't really ignore the fact that yeah. Mourinho yeah. The story that big that's what happens you know if like when Arsene Wenger it was announced that he would leave at the end of the season we cancelled everything and just had a, a day about Wenger yeah. so I remember like 10 minutes I was thinking I had 40 minutes to get ready to go on air but actually it didn't matter because we knew that we were only going to be talking about Mourinho and Manchester United for the rest of the day yeah so there was no point worrying about any other prep that I was supposed to do yeah. it was a case of it's a case of you've got te- I was already I was already ready and I'd already been to makeup the only problem would have been if I wasn't I would have had 10 minutes to do it and get my mic on and everything but, and, and that's the kind of thing I live for I live for big stories like that I, when there's a big story at home I love watching it yeah. but I'm also a bit gutted that I'm not in yeah yeah because it's what what a great day it is and there's just I love getting instant reaction as well. When, when there's a big story, I love getting my phone out and trying to get some of my contacts to come on on the phone and give some sort of reaction. Uh, you know, I, I live for that. So when you're saying there about rumours of, of Solskjaer being sacked 17 times and stuff, when big stories like that happen, although it's it's horrible for them, it's it's really good to be yeah. at the centre of it at work. Yeah, You can see that. I think that's one of the main reasons... Sky Sports News is as great as it is. You know, I've watched, I don't know how long it's been, 20 odd years or whatever, but mm. you can see that the presenters enjoy it. Yeah. That you, you know, that, that you're football fans and that it's exciting to you as well. Even if it's a club you're not, you know, involved in or it's not, you know, you're not a fan of that club. It's always a big deal. When you put your hands to your ear and you can see that face yeah. on and that goes for all presenters, it, it, it's really great to watch. It is entertainment. It is. Yeah, and, and and the thing is, we are. I mean, every, everybody is an all-round sports fan, but in terms of, you know, a lot of us are what I would describe as proper football yeah. fans. You know, yeah. we're, we're we're based in in London, so not everyone can be a season ticket holder. But mm-hmm. but Rob Watson, for instance, is a, Cel- a, a Chelsea season ticket holder, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, Duke Julian Waters is an Arsenal season ticket holder. Um, like uh, Pete Graves is a proper Newcastle fan, but he, me, me and him work most Saturdays. We can't. He, although he does actually still live in in Newcastle, he, he can't really be. It would be a waste of money being a season ticket holder. He's a proper Newcastle fan. Exactly the same with David Garrido when it comes to Sheffield Wednesday, uh, with me with Sunderland. Um, most of my holiday entitlement each year is spent on booking Saturdays off to go to Sunderland away games because. <laughs> It's, I can't think of anything better to, to, to use the holiday up on. Yeah. Um, I mean, we haven't been for a while. Our, our actual, the last game fans were allowed in, I was there, way at Bristol Rovers, which was a Tuesday night in, at the start of March last year. Um, but we are, and I'm, you know, I'm not the only one there. I mean, Natalie Sawyer's not there anymore, but she's, um, she doesn't need to be a Brentford season ticket holder because she's, she's allowed in <laughs> whenever she wants, with whoever she wants. Um, so again, at a proper fan and uh, and Kate Mason is a, a, a proper Tottenham fan. I, I would describe her as that as well. And uh oh, Julian Warren, a proper Everton fan. We are. Yes. It, we're, we're doing a job that we love. Um and I, I'd like to think that people can relate to us or they certainly feel that they can relate to us once they realise that we are a bigger fan as they are sitting at home. Yeah. yeah. And it, it do it does look try, certainly certainly transpires across the screen. I mean, I don't know what the uh, 
you can never pull the stats up for what what channels I watch, but I, I guess Sky Sports News. I just come in and it's just a habit now. I tell you, I'm four oh nine. Yeah. Without even knowing it, Sky Sports News is just on. <laughs> but no, it's 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 great, and it is great that that you are all supporters. I'll have to watch out for for Rob. I didn't know he's a Chelsea fan when he's doing his ref watch. See if he's. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, 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 no, he, he has. He, he gives certain hints to it. <laughs> great man, though, Robbie. He's. I still think he's one of the best. Yeah. Um. Like him. Julian Waters and, and Claire Tomlinson, I would say, are, 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 in, in my opinion, the, the three best yeah. at Sky Sports News. Yeah. Anyway, that, I mean, they're the ones that I've learned the most from, anyway, those three. Brilliant. So, talking of Sunderland, then, what are your thoughts on them at the moment in sort of their rocky few years? How do you sort of see Sunderland progressing in this season? Well, it's not rocky. I mean, <laughs> rocky, it kind of, you know, it is. Yeah, Rocky, yeah, you get a few knocks, but you're still okay. We're not okay. We <laughs> we, we 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 hit the wrong rocks and sank a, a long time ago. And I'm not actually convinced that that we've stopped sinking yet. I'm not sure at the bottom of the ocean yet. Um, <laughs> we it is awful. All you can do is joke about it, really, because yeah. it's it is. We had years of surviving on the second last day. Oh, we always survived on the second last day. Um, Di Canio, we stayed up um, on the second last day because Wigan lost against Arsenal in the midweek. So we didn't have to go to the final game away at Tottenham and, and get anything. Yeah. Um, then Poyet, we survived by beating West Brom midweek, second last game of the season. Again, Dick Advocat, we got a draw away at Arsenal, which I went to with Julian Waters, actually, um, mm. in the Arsenal end. Drew nil-nil, didn't have to win on the last day of the season. Um, Allardyce beat Everton midweek, didn't have to get anything against Watford, final day of the season. Second last day of the season, we always then finally went down under Moyes. And although there was pure elation when you survive, and you think that's been an awful season, but it's all worth it because we can celebrate all summer the fact we're still in the Premier League. Yeah. We went down under Moyes. It felt like, it felt like a, a bit of a a relief because mm -hmm. it's been so bad now we're in the championship and I, I love the championship because there's more games the standard is still high and I thought well, we're coming down from the Premier League we're actually going to win more than we lose is what I thought I thought yeah. I actually thought we'd finish top 10 I didn't think we'd make playoffs I thought I thought I'm being realistic to think we'll finish top 10 but we got relegated straight away mm. and that one really hurt yeah. because I was really looking forward to that season and it was worse. It was, it was worse than being in the Premier League because when I say there's more games to look forward to, it was even more defeats. Yeah, it was awful. And we went down, and it was. Oh, it felt like you, you kind of feel like like you didn't have a summer because mm. you felt so bad. Now there was a takeover which at the time we thought was sent from heaven, which turned out not to be. But that kind of lifted the spirits a bit. And admittedly, that first season in League One when we lost in the playoff final, I actually really enjoyed the season. Yeah. I could cope with losing in the playoff final because I thought, I should do it all again, but slightly better because I really enjoyed the season. Yeah, the Last season was going really badly. I don't think we would have gone up pandemic or not. We can. I was massively against the um, points per game system and the league being curtailed because I think the EFL should have paid for testing. I think it was quite weak of the EFL not to. So although I was against that, that wasn't for selfish reasons because I didn't think we were going up anyway. So last season was awful. And this season, 
it, we're not halfway through yet, so there's still a glimmer of hope. But it's no better. No. And not being able to go is hellish as well. So from the kind of relief of being relegated from the Premier League, it hasn't got any better. No. You know? So it's it's being a Sunderland fan has been horrible. We have just had another takeover, which again cautiously optimistic about. But it's been we we, we haven't had it worse than everybody, by the way. Mm. As a Sunderland fan, a lot of people feel sorry for us and with good reason, because it has been pure hell. But people have had it worse. Blackpool had it really bad for a long time. Charlton had it really bad for a long time. Oldham as well, mm. because they're, they're, they're so far down, people maybe don't give them as, as much um, attention as they deserve. They've had it bad. Clubs have gone out of business. I mean, Berry is very going out of business. You just think it makes you feel sick at the yeah. thought that that could be your club. Bolton were only just saved, but yeah. for yeah. how long? Yeah. What are you saying there, though? All them clubs you've listed off the top of my head, one thing that is consistent through them all is a takeover. Obviously, going back to Sunderland, it started with Ellis Short, you'd have to say, lack of investment in the team, poor managerial appointments, maybe. And there, there was there was there was no under Ellis Short, there was no lack of investment in the team. He um he, he if anything, he, he spent he gave loads of money, but to the wrong people to spend it. Yeah. He trusted the wrong, yeah. he trusted the wrong people to spend it. He also used to change his mind a lot, but that, that's something he actually can't be accused of is his lack of investment. But then he decided he didn't want the club anymore. And even though it wasn't sold, he, he just he took a back seat, so became an absent owner. Mm. Um, but you are right that the, the issue is ownership of, of all these clubs. People will buy the club for their own reasons. And, the, the club lose money, but these owners seem to still make money from it. Yeah. And I, I said there that I wasn't happy that the EFL, I felt they were a little bit weak in not making sure EFL, the League One and League Two season ended. And I felt that they could have secured funding for testing from elsewhere, like they have miraculously in the last month or so from the PFA and from the Premier League. It's the EFL who approved these takeovers. So yep. something isn't right now. I'm sure that they will mean well. I mean, there's there's no way that EFL would mean for someone to take over and their club go out of business. Definitely not. I'm not saying that at all. But they definitely need to have more stringent uh, ways of finding out what these owners' um, intentions are. And if the rumours are true about the Wigan one, that is just absolutely baffling. If if what happened with them going into administration last year is true, I mean they, that is. To, to right now, I don't know if you, I don't know if you know much about our takeover, Tom. We were obviously taken over two weeks ago. Um, I, I like to be an optimist. We've been we've been owned by local businessmen at Burnley my whole life, stretching back to the sixties. Obviously, we've been taken over by an American consortium, and you start to think, "Oh, brilliant! This is it. We're you know the Man City of uh, of, of Lancashire and all of this." But the reality is there are a lot of questions. Where's this money coming from? That's still not been answered. There's a huge loan been immediately put on top of the club of £80 million. Yeah. That's all well and good while we service it while we're in the Premier League. Absolutely knackered if we get relegated. Um, and it, it does just seem like the, the jurisdiction around these takeovers isn't there to the level it perhaps should be when you, you see what's happened at Bury, especially with, um, what was his name? something dale i forget his name yeah steve yeah. dale i think it was. Steve Dale. yeah 
I mean, the thing is with Burnley, I love the way Burnley has been run. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that yeah, they they got to the Premier League, went straight back down, but kept the manager, didn't didn't splash the cash, used the um, the parachute payments effectively to get back up, stay in the Premier League all these years, um, sign players that are going to be worth more money. That doesn't necessarily mean that you sell them. No. For, it doesn't mean that you necessarily buy them to sell them. Yeah. But you buy them, they play really well for you. Their value goes up because they're playing well for you. Like you, you spent £10 million on Jeff Hendry. I think it was £10 million. Let him go for free. All right, that's that probably wasn't so great. He could have done with a new contract, even sign a new contract and sell him for seven. You know what I mean? Um, in general, Burnley's business is very, very good. I just hope that over the years, when you've been staying in the Premier League, and I think you've got... Um, I think you've got one of the best managers the Premier League's ever had, by the way, and, and I, I would argue, I, I would have, a, I, would, I could give a very strong argument to that. It would, it would take a while, but I could give a very strong argument to that. He, um, I hope the money that you've been making has been put back into training facilities. Yeah, if it has been uh, youth development, definitely, um, uh, and bringing uh, into your academy. I hope the money has been invested in that way, it, uh, rather than potentially going at the pocket of uh, of what would now be new owners. Yeah. Um, but I love that on the pitch, I love on the pitch in terms of the transfers, I love the way Burnley has been run and you've got the perfect manager for it as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. In terms of training ground, academy, Dyche was the one who actually insisted upon where that money went. I think when we got promoted Good. a second time, because obviously we did get relegated under him initially. And uh, we've spent, I think, £11 million on a training ground. We're a Category 1 Premier League Academy now. So, right. like Perfect. I say, so that's the thing. Dice is just incredible. Yeah, but, but all this money that's come, this this takeover, even if it's true about all the money, you're doing so well at the moment, like, to, 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 to keep staying up. Um, you just need a, you know, you do need a little bit more. But my, my sort of only worry for Burnley is because I, I don't know whether those rumors about that takeover are true or I don't know. It might be amazing, right? But I think without Sean Dyche, I think you are potentially mid-table championship, right? Mm. And, and that, that, that's what we were, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think um, he is the absolute key to you. And how long can you keep him for? I I can't believe that he's even though he was heavily linked with the Everton job when. When Allardyce got it first, when Allardyce got it as caretaker, well, sorry, till the end of the season, and again, when Marco Silva got it, Dykes was heavily linked with it. I can tell you now he wasn't on the shortlist. I know that for a fact. Yeah. And you think, why not? He, he would have been perfect for it. And what it, how on earth did... I mean, my my favourite manager ever is, is Sam Allardyce. And when, when he left Everton, they replaced him with Marco Silva when they could have probably had Sean Dyche. Mm. You think... How on earth does Marco Silva qualify for that job ahead of the man he replaced in Sam Allardyce mm. and ahead of Sean Dyche? What has Silva done? He got whole relegated. He had a good start with Watford, then tailed off when he thought he could go to Everton in the first place. Yeah. yeah. How did he deserve that ahead of someone like Sean Dyche, let alone Sam Allardyce? It's it, it really annoys me. I don't Sean Dyche does not get the respect he deserves whatsoever. If 
if a big job came up or any job in the Premier League came up now, I can guarantee they would go for Eddie Howe over Sean Dyche. Yeah. And having had the pleasure of both at Burnley, I'll tell you. I know you did, yes. (laughs) Yeah, of course you did. Eddie Howe also at Bournemouth was given a lot more money to spend than Sean Sean Dyche has been given at Burnley. And there's no doubt that um, Eddie Howe plays a a good brand of football. It's a brand of football that eventually got Bournemouth relegated, which was a surprise. Sean Dyche, I like Sean Dyche's style of play, but others don't. But he has proved that he is just an excellent manager. And I just really hope for your sake that you keep him because I like Burnley. I like the way the club's run. I, I love him. Absolutely love him. You're not going to get any arguments from us three, Tom. We've got a Burnley fan and two local Chesterfield boys. So, oh, good. Big, big, big Sean Dyke fans. <laughs> good. So, last thing for to touch on about Sunderland before we go on to a little sort of five question quiz, if that's all right. What yeah, do you course. make of the uh, Netflix documentary Sunderland Till I Die? It, it's hard to. It's difficult to watch because you because you know what you know how it ends. Yeah, right? if you're watching it out in America, and apparently a huge hit out in America, they probably didn't know. It's like when the Salford documentary started when they were non-league. Yeah, I like. Although I knew what what happens at the end, a lot of people will be watching that thinking, do they get promoted? What yeah. happens here? You know, do, does does Seddon's fire fire <laughs> enough goals to to get them? You know, I, I didn't know that part of it, and. For a lot of people, it's great entertainment thinking, okay, I wonder what happens at the end. We know what happens at the end as a Sunderland fan. That part of it is horrible. But as fans, we came across, I felt that the fans came across so well. It was clear how much passion was there. And we're always, as Sunderland fans, we're probably more proud of our passion than anything else. It was obvious how passionate we were, obviously how much it hurt, hurt us that our club was struggling. And it also gave everybody an insight into how, a club is being run which is interesting so it's interesting to see even though a lot of it was quite frustrating especially well especially the in the second series but on on deadline day with the with jack ross saying will grig is is definitely not worth more than 1.2 million pounds and then we spent three million rising to four mm. um <laughs> behind the manager's back you, you can even see the funny side to that but i loved it i was I was devastated that it, it's not carrying on. And the reason it's not carrying on is because everyone at the club blamed it for our lack of promotion or in the first place relegation. They said there was too much pressure with the cameras being there, which I think is just an excuse. I, I wish it was still going. Yeah. But I, I, so, so in short, I like it, but mainly because the fans come across really well. Yeah. I absolutely. Oh, go on. Sorry, Josh. No, I was going to say the, there was like a lot of memes and sort of ridicule. That came from it, but it was all aimed at maybe players or <laughs> mainly the owners at the time. Yeah. I don't think any of it was at the fans. I think you're right. It came across that there are a bunch of people who love the football and, and love the club. I think that's it. I think whenever like real fans see other real fans, kind of you know when it, when you see their pain, you feel it too because you know you know what it's like. You know, I think people respect if you're a proper football fan you respect anyone else who's a proper football fan even if they support a club that, that, that you don't like yeah. um even a lot of, I mean, the vast majority of my friends are actually newcastle fan which, which just means that my my life has been absolute pure hell uh especially when 
when they did so well under Keegan. God, we were struggling at the bottom of what is now the championship, which was then, you know, well, Division Two and then and then Division One. Um, even they were saying like this. It, it was quite hard to see the pain because they felt it as well. Yeah. Any real fan has felt that pain at some point. It might be someone getting relegated from the championship is very hard for us to see, but even a Manchester United fan not qualifying for the Champions League, mm. they've still got that pain. Yeah. Or you know, just the thought of what the Aguero goal would have done to, to Manchester United fans is like, yeah, you, you've had that pain and it's you, you can relate to it and you... And, and you you can you can feel sorry for each other really, yeah. and it, it definitely that documentary did. I think as fans we were quite happy with how we, we came across. It certainly showed how much the fans love going to away days as well. Which I mean, it, it's it's just a massive day out on the lash, isn't it? And it's yeah. <laughs> it, it's ten times better if you win, but you can take an away defeat having had a great day with a load of friends and meeting a load of new friends you can take it a lot more than a home match when really home matches i i think that when i go to a home match i'm mainly there just for the, mainly for the football rather than the day out yeah and it, it we came across well and for that i'm, I'm happy but the people that, that, that the production company are some of fans for mm. 73 the full well was the old full well end at roca park 73 mm. is when we last won the fa cup that's why the production company is called Full Well Seventy Three. Um, they do all the James Corden stuff out in um, in America, yeah. and so I, we should really come across well, shouldn't we? If it's fans of the production company, yeah. Right, yeah, that was pretty much what I was going to cover off with you, Josh. Anyway, but do you want to run through the quiz? Yeah, so it's just just a quick five questions, and as, yeah. as I'm calling it, you're the the face of uh, of Sky Sports transfers. There, I've put it out there, Tom. It's lovely, great. I'm, no, I'm happy to have that. You can you can <laughs> you can you can spread that nickname nicely. <laughs> so it's just it's just a bit of a of a quiz based around transfers. Really, nothing too serious. Um, so number one, when was the transfer window brought into English football? Was it 2000, 2001 or 2002? For the, as in the current, the way it is currently, or when it ended at the end of March, at the middle of March? Because there was always a transfer dead, there was always a transfer deadline. So, as it is currently, I believe. As it is currently, I actually think as it is currently was a, was a lot later than any of those, I think. But so I'll go for the latest that you've given me of 2002. <laughs> the, the answer I have is 2002. So yeah. I don't. I, know. I, think it was, I, I'm, I, I think it was. I, I, think, I think it was 2004. And the reason I say that is, I'm sure I remember on the first Burnley deadline day, was signing Deli Adi Bola. So I'm just putting that out there, Josh. Quizmaster okay. well, says 2002. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to go for the latest there, so I'll, I'll, I'll have it. I got it right, so I, I won't be contesting it. Um, okay, so a transfer record that most people thought would be broken the summer just gone uh, with the potential arrival of Jane and Sancho was the British transfer record. Of course, Sancho stayed at Dortmund. Um, which player remains the most expensive player signed by a British club? Right, well, good question because initially I was going to say Pogba, but now I'm thinking that Lukaku. They were both more than Van Dyke because Van Dyke was 75. Now, 
was Pogba 80 or 90, it was Lukaku Pogba, or was, was Lukaku 80 or 90. My, uh, I think something is telling me that it was Pogba was more than Lukaku. It is Paul Pogba, and I, I do have a feeling you'll be you're saying his name quite a lot this coming summer as well. <laughs> summer, I don't think it'll be January, but I think the summer, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's two from two. Um, number three, sticking to a similar topic, who was the most expensive Premier League signing uh, in the summer of 2020? Well, I should know that, because all I did was transfers all summer. <laughs> Trying to think. Oh, now Ruben Diaz was a bargain, so it'll not be him. Liverpool, Thiago wasn't very much. Manchester United didn't go for Sancho in the end, or a centre back. James Rodriguez wasn't that much. Although Diaz was a bargain, he might have actually been still the hard. Ah, oh no! Suddenly started thinking Nicholas Pepe, but that was a year. That was a year before. Who did Arsenal sign? Can't remember signing anyone particularly expensive. We're getting the inner workings of your brain here. Yeah, I know, because now I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking it must be a traditionally top six club, but that that could be wrong too. Um, it definitely wasn't uh, Leicester. So who did Tottenham sign? Carlos Vinicius wasn't much. Bale was only on loan. Oh, Chelsea. Um, Kai Havertz. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> that was class how everything went round there. You got to Chelsea, boom. Yes, I still have. Yeah. I thought it's not Ruben. I thought it can't be Ruben Diaz, but see, yeah, Havertz, right? Good. I have it, seventy-two million, which no other club really, really got close to Chelsea this summer no. with the pandemic no. and what came with it. Um, okay, three from three. Question four: What was the last year? that crowds were allowed to gather behind reporters. Obviously, reporters have now been moved to a, a safe distance on uh, on deadline day. Yes, and we know why. We do know why. <laughs> um, One of the original questions was going to be what colour was it, but we weren't going to that. <laughs> uh, it's, etched, it's etched in my brain, that one. In there. It's a bonus point for the colour. <laughs> mark, mark, mark in um, Alan Irwin's ear as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, actually, to be honest, this this will be a guess. This because I, I can't I can't think which actual transfer was going on at that time. So I am going to go to uh, I'll say twenty. I'll say that the last one was twenty fifteen. Oh, so it was 2014. So it was from 2015 that that, 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 that they moved away. Um, I think it was a fairly quiet transfer window. I think it might have been um, Falcao to United at about 20 uh, okay. in the morning. That one, I think. Right. Um, yeah. There was right. A, it wasn't just that instant with the ear either. There was quite there was quite a bit going on that, that wasn't part yeah. of the camp. 
there's yeah. quite a bit of uh, there, there was one I mean I won't I won't say it's a bit unfair on because it kind of taints the club when it's only actually a few fans but there was one club that really um, you know it was kind of a you know a policing mm. job it was it was it was quite scary actually for the people involved yeah. and it's, it's just not what what it needed to be it just I think it it's a shame because it was always so much fun it yeah. was yeah, yeah. but obviously the, the reporter's safety and, and things like that goes without saying becomes uh, right, number five, final final question. Um, who is Sunderland's record signing? Didier Endong, £13.6 million. Worst signing we've ever made. <laughs> and he was he came in £13.6 million. Two years later, he was sacked. Yeah, Tom, five out of five. And that that is Four. that is it. Thank you. Four out Four of five. five. Let's edit that as well. <laughs> yeah tom four out of five and i think that that's everything thank you so much for for giving us your time i know you're a very busy man and i'll see you when you're next on there yeah. <laughs> no th- thanks thanks for having me i'm so sorry i'm late i am i am late for nothing right <laughs> but i have but i've been late for your podcast so i uh i cannot apologize enough for that i'm very sorry no problem you will, well, you will, you will out on deadline day and we'll uh, we'll forgive yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> brilliant tom thank, thank you, you very much mate. Mate, tom see you, see you lads Bye, mate. Mate. what a great guy tom white is and it's amazing to get an insight into what goes on on sky sports news but let's get on with our weekend fixtures and luke Chelsea Burnley 2-0 what happened absolutely battered best I've seen Chelsea play all season um so yeah no complaints from me at all we played well for 15 minutes and then for some reason just thought I feel sorry for Thomas too she'll just give him give him a nice head start and we just sat off him really poor but yeah did Mason Mount look sad or were you all right Played well, one of their best players. Um, possibly their best player, actually, yeah. Interesting that he brought Alonso back in, weren't it? Yeah, a bit weird. I don't know if you saw when Chilwell got subbed the other day as well for him. Chilwell kind of went... Yeah, yeah. So, maybe Tuchel doesn't rate him. Mm. He said it was something, uh, they said on Sky, he'd said it was to do with his height at set pieces or something. I don't know, maybe that's just something that you say when you've got a dwarf at left back. And Alonso came in and scored an absolute stunner, so he ain't getting dropped, is he? No, no. Right, Man United, Arsenal, as we predicted. Me and Luke got five points. Josh, nil-nil. Yeah, it finished nil-nil. That's (laughs) enough to say on that one, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who who were the performer? Um... I, th- I think United would, would be happy with the point with weight game when Arsenal came on strong in the second half and if any team deserved to win, they probably edged it. Um, yeah, it, it were... See, our, our game plan for the big games this season seems to be um, sit back, soak up pressure, trying it on break. Cavani had a great chance right at end. So same as Liverpool game. Very, very nearly worked. But for... Um, poor finishing so yeah take a point if you can draw it the bigger teams away and beat them at home beat the smaller teams you'll not be far off will you 
Yeah, and then Derby 1-0 against Bristol City. I gave Derby a bit of an hard one last week. I think I said uh, absolutely pathetic, mm. but we won 1-0. But what I mean by that is that we get go 1-0 up and then we just defend for our lives. I mean, Christian Bielik got injured, which is going to be a massive loss. But yeah, I think we're on the up three wins on trot now. So see what happens Tuesday against Rotherham. Yeah. Which uh, will have happened when this gets released. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, right, this week's... Don't go down. Sorry. So this week's go. predictions. Barnsley, yeah. Derby, Luke. What do you think? And Barnsley are quite good, aren't they? Oh, they were. Last time I looked at the table, weren't they in playoff? Yeah, I th- I'm not sure <laughs> that I. Yeah, I think. They've fallen off the off so, track a bit. Yeah. I'll say 1 0, which I don't think is a bad result away. Uh, a team that's done reasonably well this season. No, I'll take that. Um, I'm going to stick with it and say 1 0 Derby. Because <laughs> I don't think we'll get another goal. And we're defending very well. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, just checking. They're down in 12th now, Barnsley, but it's still a good season for them because I think a lot of them were down, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I think Derby will win. And yeah, 1-0 seems to be a score that's quite popular with you. So yeah, I'll go 1-0 as well. Right, staying with you then, Josh. Mm. Uh, we've got Burnley-Brighton. Oh. Um... 1-0 Burnley. Luke? 2-1 Burnley. I'm going to go ballsy and say 3-0 Burnley. Wow. But I think Brighton, have, I'm sure I've seen a stat on BT score and uh, they were saying like Brighton are the fourth most creative team. They've created the fourth most chances in Premier League. Right, Luke. <laughs> Man United versus Everton. Ooh. Is he froze? I'm not sure he's I there. No, it's just it's an hard one to call that. Everton were really, really poor against Newcastle. Um, I don't know. United look like they lack a bit of creativity at the minute, though. Mm. And I can see that this being a pretty boring draw but I can't decide if it's gonna be one all or nil nil. I'm gonna go I'm gonna say one all. And I'm going to stick Man United one nil. What do you think Josh? Uh I'd be disappointed if we can't put a couple past old T Rex arms. Um uh, <laughs> they, they are bad aren't they? They started well and then they've done <laughs> they've done what Everton do and they're just nothing are they? They're a bit of a nothing team. Um. Yeah, yeah, but they never win out. Like they should be better than they are. The fan base and stuff, the manager they've got, the players they've got. I thought this season might have been a season where Everton really kick on, and then they go and lose to Newcastle at home. Mm. Um, United have beat them twice this season already, but both times at Goodison Park, we are better away. Um, yeah, I think we'll beat them again, but it won't be anything too pretty. We don't create if Bruno doesn't turn up. We don't play well if Bruno doesn't turn up. So, if he does, we might win like 2 or 3 nil. I don't think he will, so I'll go for 1-0. Cool. All of that, just say 1-0. Cheers, Josh. Um, <laughs> right, make sure you are joining us next week for Paul Devlin. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye.
Pie and a pie. Pie and a pie. Pie and a pie.